We discovered that there were secrets that your body was trying to tell you that could really help you optimize performance, but no one could monitor those things. And that's when we set out to build the technology that we thought could really change the world. Welcome to the WHOOP podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of WHOOP, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. At WHOOP, our clients range from the best professional athletes in the world, to Navy SEALs, to fitness enthusiasts, to Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. The common thread among WHOOP members is a passion to improve. What does it take to optimize performance for athletes, for humans, really anyone? On this podcast, we dig deeper, we interview experts, we interview industry leaders across sports, data, technology, physiology, athletic achievement, you name it. How can you use data to improve your body? What should you change about your life? My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with some new ideas and a greater passion for performance. With that in mind, I welcome you to the WHOOP podcast. When you are compelled with some data that's specific and measurable and accurate, you will start to make changes whether you like it or not. Hello, folks. On this week's episode, Mike Lombardi sits down with James Hobart and Austin Maliolo, CrossFit seminar staff Flowmasters. What does that mean? James and Austin are two of the most elite CrossFit coaches on the planet. Mike, James, and Austin go deep on all things CrossFit. That includes the evolution of the sport of CrossFit over the years, how James and Austin found their coaching voices after spending years as elite competitors themselves, and how they're using WHOOP today to help make their athletes better. This is a big time of year for CrossFit with Wadapalooza coming up shortly. WHOOP will have a large presence in Miami for the event, so if you're going, we hope to see you there. Without further ado, here's Mike with Austin and James. Hi everyone, welcome to the WHOOP podcast. This is Mike Lombardi. I'm here with Austin Maliolo and James Hobart. How you doing, guys? We're great. Thanks for having us. Howdy. So, I'm going to let you two who are very distinguished in the CrossFit space, introduce yourselves, give any background you want. Okay. So I'll, uh, I I was hoping I was going to be able to introduce James and give a little background on him and blow him up a little bit. So go that route. Okay, yeah, yeah. So James Oliphant Hobart, uh, he grew up in Western Mass and started at CrossFit Green Barrington. It was his CrossFit journey where he started, went to law school. So... It's pretty awesome, but he has his Juris Doctorate, has not passed the bar yet. No, no, it's different. I haven't taken the bar. There's a difference. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So James started CrossFit uh, in 09, 09-ish. He was an avid mountain biker and uh, started competing, went to the CrossFit Games in 2009, finished last place, dead last. Um, And that's where I actually met him in 2010 in training for the regionals. Uh, what was regionals in 2010. But for most of you guys that know him, uh, you know, one of the winningest team athletes in CrossFit Games history, competed with uh, not only uh, CrossFit New England, but also CrossFit Mayhem. Um, so, and beyond that, from an uh, individual athlete, team athlete, where he has multiple championships, also a uh, 10-year veteran on CrossFit Headquarters seminar staff. He's a course supervisor, um, a flow master within the world that know the lingo, um, and as well as a, a owner of uh, CrossFit One Nation. So he's 
really just does it all. And most of you know what he looks like because he's all over CrossFit.com. If you buy posters for your gym of what it looks like to air squat, that's James on the uh, the posters and the videos and all that. So he's the original demo boy. I'm not the original demo boy. That would be some different people. <laughs> but I'm one of the CrossFit demo people now. Yeah. And I'm jealous that I'm not. But, yeah, yeah for okay. good reason you're not. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to introduce Austin, or are we going to let Austin introduce? Let himself him introduce too? himself. I think it's he's he's the best at it. Oh, that's nice. No, I, all right. I'll just keep talking. This is great. Yeah, but myself, you know, I've competed uh, similarly to James, but almost in reverse fashion, where I did a lot. You know, individual. You know, my most of my early career, and then transitioned into team uh, towards the the end of my my sort of CrossFit Games c- career. I guess I've never actually officially said it's over, but I don't know if it, if it is over or not. It's in uh, swift decline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's, uh, it's, I don't think it's ramping up at any point in time. <laughs> did, you, did you not win the, one of the open workouts? Yeah, Multiple. I, yeah. I think I, yeah, this year I did win an open workout this year. So, I mean, I still got something in the tank. Yeah. Which one was that? It was the uh, the deadlift. Hands, it was the repeat. It was the, it was the Diane. Which, which you had won the year before. Yes. So, I, I, it was a, I had to defend the, the title. But if there's a deadlift workout that happened in the open, I'm pretty sure that I've won it. I think I've won four open workouts globally. And have you won any CrossFit Games workouts? Yes. I've actually, I'm, I've tied. Tied in 2010, the, dead, the deadlift <laughs> pistol double under workout, yeah. which you recently posted a little throwback on. Yep. I tied Rich uh, Froning Jr. in. Really upset <laughs> that I'm t- I had to tie him. He has all these other wins. He couldn't, I couldn't have just beat him by one rep. And it could have been all mine, but yeah, that was it. That one. Yeah, I think I think winning the worldwide open is pretty cool too. Well, just one workout. One workout. Yeah, one yeah. workout. In the I think open. from a data perspective, it's extreme. I think it's one of the coolest accomplishment, accomplishments you could have. Yeah, because the 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 pool is so deep, and there's so many people. It is, it is cool. It does highlight that I have a proficiency in deadlifts, which is nice. But other than that, yeah, I'm owner of CrossFit One Nation. I run um, the fitness facility for the at the Reebok World Headquarters, which incorporates Reebok CrossFit One. I did, what I didn't mention, James and I, with uh, two others, we also own the Handplane, which is an online programming platform. And we also have beyond CrossFit seminar staff, James and I have uh, the same credential as a, a core supervisor. Uh, we own the coach development program, which is where we develop uh, coaches and a few other seminars. So needless to say, uh, we love CrossFit. We do it. We live it. We breathe it. And so if you don't like CrossFit, I don't know how much you're going to enjoy this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's that's the disclaimer right there. That's yeah. fair. Um, you guys have been in this pretty much since the beginning of let's say the CrossFit Games because CrossFit had existed prior to the games mm-hmm. in the early stages. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, when I first started, it was it was all CrossFit.com for me. I mean, that was like the only place that was you know giving programming you know at least that I knew of. So, I mean, that's how I first when I first found it, I found CrossFit.com and they posted a workout and I did it. Yeah, I mean, I, I started <laughs> CrossFit through a friend who I was training with at the time and we were really into the whole kettlebell thing and this was back in 2007-ish and he stumbled on CrossFit.com which he had found through another website so that's kind of all I knew and I I learned a lot all of CrossFit up until the point I received coaching from a CrossFit affiliate uh, from the website and I think one of the really interesting things about CrossFit then was it was still very collaborative I think it still is even as a competitive sport but um a lot of people were just doing their own thing, trying to figure it out. I mean, we, we, it was competitive in the sense that the workouts were for time and for weight, but I don't think any of us really had an idea how to comp- compete at it. 
yeah. and what was needed to compete at it. And, you know, you've seen the programming and the development of the sport change so much in, in the last, I don't know, 10 years. It was very different. Yeah, I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. So you both are, you know, flow masters, mm. correct? Mm-hmm. Um, one does not just become one. Uh, obviously, you said you started in 2010 on the seminar staff. Does that mean that you were the base level, basically, of seminar staff? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how much uh, did you find sort of your coaching voice through working within the seminar staff versus when you were both still training and other people you worked with? So like Austin, you've been all over and you, used to, you go to the Reebok thing and, you know, Rich is there and all the other individual big names are there. And then you, so there's that. You obviously had, were doing something right to continue being in a top 10 position as an individual. Yeah. And then James, you worked with several different teams and maybe you were writing the programming, maybe you weren't, but definitely a part of it. Um, how much do you feel like you took from learning from the, either the seminar staff environment versus being in your actual training environment? Yeah, I guess I can, you know, I'll, I'll kind of start because I know James has a, a very unique perspective of training on such high level teams re- relatively, you know, like you know, early on and then individual and back to a team. And But for me, when in being a part of seminar staff, certainly as Fortunately, we're, for me, I was really new in the world of CrossFit. I got on staff within about a year and a half of me starting CrossFit, which was, you know, it's unheard of now. But back then, it was sort of like that's how a lot of us started. So I was just listening and learning to everything around me and obviously being around individuals. Like kind of James mentioned from, you know, Adrian Bosman to, you know, E.C. Sinkowski to Pat Sherwood, a lot of just, you know, CrossFit OGs. And, you know, in fact, those a lot of them had, you know, were I asked for them to program for me. So um, um, I know like Pat gave me a lot of help in the beginning. And then Adrian Bosman uh, coached and programmed for me for about a year and a half, if not two years. Um, and then EC did so as well. Um, so in in one, I learned a lot of, it was just nice to be told things, right? Like I, I do this. And whereas prior to that, I would just go and look at something and, and do it as opposed to here's your program and do that. But then just also having that sort of 10,000 foot view of on the weekends delivering seminars of about programming and getting that. So you also have a perspective of, well, what's actually going into the programming I'm doing. And I think the biggest thing I see now, certainly with athletes, they are just given programming. And there's, for those that just want to be athletes, there's no critical thinking about what they're doing. Sometimes they just do it, which I think there's value to that. And there's nice just to be the racehorse. Um, but I know I was kind of looking at it with two lenses just because of the nature of what I was doing as well as trying to be an athlete also as a coach. And I think that brought me a a good amount of learning and opportunity. And I actually never even thought about like programming until almost like almost, you know, five or six years in it. It was like, oh, it wasn't even a thought process. It was, I just got to do something and I would like someone else to do it for me. Okay. I mean, it totally makes sense from the athlete perspective. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit off the plate. What do you think, James? I think a huge part of it came from seminar staff. Um, You know, one of the really cool things about kind of being an early adopter of something, and I feel like we were early adopters of CrossFit, um, is you get in the ground floor and you meet a lot of the people who are at the front of it and pushing it forward. So we were both really lucky to get involved with CrossFit early on and meet a lot of people who were already working on seminar staff. And... Whether they knew it or not, they were already very talented people in previous fields or other disciplines, and they brought that to CrossFit. And we were able to get to know um, a lot of the, 
you know, at that time, you know, the business had not quite formed uh, as well as it has and strategically as it has now. But we, we met a lot of people inside of CrossFit, you know, CrossFit's founder, Greg Glassman and guys like Dave Castro and, you know, the list goes and Nicole Carroll and the list goes on and on. So as far as influencing our coaching voice, I think for both of us, we were very fortunate to be around people who were excellent Mm -hmm. at what they were doing. And that has a really big influence on you if you're around people like that and you have the wherewithal or just you haphazardly listen to them and take feedback from them. And the really cool thing about seminar staff is that it's really collaborative and it's constructive in its feedback. There's no weekend that goes by that we don't receive feedback. And so for Austin and myself, uh, 10 years into seminar staff Mm -hmm. now, we've been receiving feedback (laughs) on our coaching, our presentation to groups. Um, how we prepare, how we carry carry ourselves, continued education. And people who join seminar staff today will continue to receive that. So seminar staff has had an immense uh, influence on my coaching voice. But also at the same time, you know, I I always joke, you know, how did I end up on uh, CrossFit New England's team that won a championship? And then we also got a second place. And then Mayhem's team that we won two championships. And CrossFit Mayhem has continued to win championships and I imagine they will continue to do that um, I always joke that I just have the my superpowers that I just find the best coattails to ride um, however that works but I I also I do pride myself on paying attention to people who I think do things I won't don't want to just say better but do things better but also do things differently than me you know I always think there's value in learning from an experience that isn't yours luckily both Austin and I in the last decade of our life were able to learn from people who are quite excellent at whatever they do, whether it was, you know, business, content development, fitness, fill in the blank. So it's had a huge impact on, on my coaching voice. And, you know, we weren't just exposed to one way. We were exposed to a lot of different ways. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a buffet of development, both intellectually, personally, physically for us over the last 10 years, which has been really, really, really amazing. I think the feedback's the biggest thing. You Huge. Know, I think that's yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. It's this sort of feedback yeah. loop that is consistently happening yeah. for all levels, whether you're running it, whether you're just presenting, you know, the deadlift or one of the other movements, whatever the case, what are you guys looking at since you guys do run the show? You run the show, you coach, you're the coach of coaches. Um, what do you kind of instill upon people to get out of each session and how do you help members and athletes that are trying to get better that aren't as good as you? That's a lot loaded in that, so you can <laughs> you yeah. can unpack that. I think the biggest thing is you know when you're when you're watching you know when you're evaluating a coach and, and, and coaching a class, and I ask three questions. You know, we have a workout. We need to make sure we get the workout. We have to give athletes the upper. That was a statement, right? That wasn't a question. Well, did you have? Did you get a workout? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's the question you'd ask. Then the next thing you think about, which turns into a question, is did you give? the athletes the opportunity to learn a new skill or refine a current skill right did they learn in turn did you you know teach see correct scale appropriately and then finally did they have fun so that you, you ask those questions right so we, we got to get a workout in got to have fun and you got to give people an opportunity to learn at the very least refine a current skill keyword opportunity um and I think from there, as, as you watch, one, your feedback, you need to meet feedback at the level of the coach. So if I'm watching James coach a class, James is a very competent, high-level instructor. My feedback lens can be very different than if I'm watching someone that just passed their level one. So I think that's the first thing that is, is very important is meet them where they are and where they, where, you know, what feedback is appropriate for them. 
the simplest thing is just give them something to do. It's no different than an athlete. Feedback to a coach, feedback to athletes, very same. You need to give them something to do. It's not, well, you know, I wish you coached a better class. Like, that's useless, right? And also, it's like you need to teach better, still useless. How? Right? If I need you to open up your hip as an athlete, I need to give you an actionable cue to do that. Then, whatever I ask you to do, squeeze your butt, jump higher, I need to see if it actually happens. So whatever feedback I give a coach on, hey, you know what, let's, let's spend a little more time while you're teaching the progression of a push jerk on actually calling reps and then looking to see what you're looking for, maybe call some corrections. How do we do that? Well, let's call five reps per person and just look at the hip. And that means if you have 10 people in class, you got to call a lot of reps. So keep an eye on that. Give them some, something actionable to do, and then you can watch it and, and, and follow up. So I think that's as simple as it can be, but I think the key is giving action. And, as a, and that's where it's the same as a coach to your athletes. You have to give your athletes something to do. If you can do that, now we can be effective because we, we, we've been actionable there. So, I mean, that's what I think about. You know, I know James might have a different approach to it, but I think from a macro perspective, that's what we do. Yeah, I mean, I hate admitting this because I don't want to give them any other reason to gloat. But I, this is one thing I tell a lot of new trainers and coaches at CrossFit Level 1s because um, these people coming into CrossFit Level 1s, you know, that's their first step to if they want to open a CrossFit affiliate. Um, for some of them, it might be, you know, career redirection. But um, one of the things I often tell them, because it's hard to receive feedback, make yourself better if you don't have a goal in mind. Like if you're just kind of walking around in the dark and I'm giving feedback and I don't have a goal either, it's it's the blind leading the blind, uh, so to speak. But you try to give them a goal. And I actually heard this from Austin a long time ago and he summed it up already, but it's keep people safe, make them better at one, maybe two things, help them have some fun. And I think that's a pretty low barrier to entry as a coach. Now there's a lot of hows to do that, but if they can walk into a class with those three things in mind, and I have those three things in mind, it's easier for us to have a conversation about what feedback will be. And um, I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, whether it's coach, athlete, it uh, doesn't really matter if it's even related to fitness. If you don't have a, you know, a mission that you're marching toward, an end goal that you're marching toward, whether it's close or far away, it's really hard to receive, take, um, give feedback effectively. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. And on staff, they're so great about that with CrossFit Seminar staff is our feedback has been constructive. It's, it's direct and actionable. And tangible, you know, it's something you could take away. It's not just, hey, you know, you watch somebody move and you're like, hey, you just need to be better. Well, you need to push your knees out and that'll make that squat a little bit better. So deep, deep uh, desire um, to make people better is obviously very important to both of you. Yeah. Do you think <laughs> that you are better coaches or athletes? Oh, I'm a way better coach. Yeah, I would, I would say I'm a better coach than athlete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I would you, hope. If, if you could <laughs> compare those, yeah. yeah. Even peak? Peak peak athlete versus peak coach? Um, when I was peak athlete, I don't think I was as good of a coach as I am now, but now I'm a better coach than I ever was an athlete. Hmm. That's awesome. So what's kind of been the progression, and when did you start making the transition <laughs> from more focused on athlete to, okay, I get it, the, the bigger picture is actually maybe my role in, in this space is to, to transcend and help everyone else get better i've achieved so much when when does the switch kind of go off is it because you wanted it to first off or it just kind of happened like time happened or you, you consciously made the decision i'm going to focus more on on seminars and coaching and teaching and affiliates part of it was probably time i you know i think about this a lot a friend of ours he um works for crossfit 
Savan, and he said to me once, he said, team is where all good indiv- washed up individual athletes go. And um, there might be some truth to that. But um, or he said something like, "That's it's where like, athletes who can't make it as individuals it's go. Like where individual athletes go to die or something." <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. Something really inspirational. Yeah, I don't think that's that's completely the case in all cases. But certainly, um, certainly I think nowadays. I think time time was certainly part of it for me, and I I think a bigger thing was me for me was that um, I felt relatively fulfilled with what I had accomplished as an individual CrossFit Games athlete and a team's CrossFit Games athlete. And, you know, I had wanted to find another, another peak to climb. And I think putting more time into, you know, the other areas of CrossFit or fitness that I hadn't explored was a really good way to do it for me. And that came down to running an affiliate, owning an affiliate, coaching more and developing other coaches, sharing what I had learned as an, as an athlete with others. That's, I desired to do that more than just put more into myself as an athlete, I think. Yeah, I th- I think time obviously is you know I think it's I think that just is a natural progression as as you get you know older just what you know from where you start you know I always say like what's your t- you know time under tension as an athlete right so that happens you get you know banged up or you know injuries here or there which naturally kind of slow you down but you know for me I never looked at I I don't think I ever consciously had a thought through, was like you know I'm gonna I'm transitioning. Um, I think a lot of it for me was, you know, I've, I guess for lack of a better put it, I've always been greedy when it comes to thinking about things I can do, you know, where, you know, every year I worked a seminar the weekend before the CrossFit Games. So, and I, and pe- it's like, because I was like, well, why not? I do it all year round. I'll work a seminar. And, and I, and I know, and I think James is, is, is relatively similar from that perspective too, is that for the past 10 years, it's, we've, we've had the opportunity to grow our coaching career while our athletic career was sort of, you know, maybe, you know, going up the umbrella and maybe down the other side. And I think a few things for me is, was there was a clear conscious choice of time commitment. And I don't know if that time commitment was, you know, what I'm, I'm transitioning from athlete to coach. It was, I know that the amount of time and sacrifice it would take to even attempt to maintain to be at the best individual athlete I could ever be. And I, I, I remember the thought process. I don't know if I'm willing to make that sacrifice, whether it is to spend time with my family, to grow businesses, to coach, whatever it might be. There was, there was a conscious choice of I, I knew in the sacrifice. And at, when I questioned whether it was something I wanted to do, I knew, and I don't know if, I don't think I admitted it right away to myself, but I think that was the point where I knew that things were transitioning because I'd never had that thought maybe, you know, two or three years prior. It was no question. It was going to train four or five hours a day. Of course, <laughs> like, like, like why, like, what else would we do? It was almost like I couldn't, I, there was a point in time where I couldn't imagine life any other way. If you ask me, you know, what's what I, I and I think I remember saying this, like, what's life going to be like after competing? Like I'll compete for until I die. You know, like, I, cause that's what, that's the, I think what once Austin told me that quote he would rip his bottom lip off to qualify for the crossfit games exactly is it was that recently <laughs> no, no that not recently yeah like that 14 or 15 yeah but like <laughs> now yeah. he'd probably rip both bottom and top lip off yeah right yeah but but that was like the mind so 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 blinded by that which i think is an important aspect of an athlete in that moment right i think that you ask any athlete that is you know where they need to be you know mentally and emotionally that, that response will be the same should we talk about the time that you almost died and didn't know it 
Oh, my uh, my 176 uh, resting heart rate? We yeah. should also just preface this with the fact that, um, and I wish, I would be curious to see that Austin's whoop data leading up to this, but he didn't have one at the time. When Austin gave himself shingles, which yeah. you only get from, not only, but you can you get it when you're very stressed out and run down. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah. I beat it pretty quick. Yeah. Bounced back. Bounced back. That was during the open, too, or like mm-hmm. or tra- regional training. So I did give myself shingles. Yep. I actually, a, a quick little story on that. I, I got some body work done. You know, when you get body work done, you're like, oh, like, you know, like you, they get beat up in the lats, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, your lats and ribs and you know, all that stuff. And I was like, man, like, I got beat up there a little bit. And then, and my lower back was killing me. And I was like, man, like, I'm, I, my back never gets sore retrospect these are all symptoms of shingles <laughs> no idea i was like man i and i was really upset with myself i'm like why am i sore like i shouldn't be sore from I, from working out like i just it made me mad i was mad at myself i'm like foam rolling nothing's getting better <laughs> like then this this thing on my side starts to grow i'm like that's not normal that's when i went to the doctor and he <laughs> he said he's like yeah you have shingles and i was like well, that's not good. In fact, he actually said this. He goes, you have, you have, you have herpes zooster. I was like, excuse me? I was very concerned. It's not zoster. It's, yeah, he says It's zooster. It's zooster. I mean, wow. uh, and I was like, excuse me? And he's like, shingles. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Glad. Uh, like heart rate went way even higher at that point. And then he's like, yeah. But he's like, does your lower back hurt? I'm like, yeah. He's like, how bad? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm, I, I just thought I was like really sore. He's like, yeah. He's like, those are like, you know. Your kidneys failing or something like that. So like, I'm like, cool. And he just you know, gave me, I, I got out of it. He's like, he looked at me like I was crazy. So I just didn't train for two days, but I'm proud of that, that I beat <laughs> shingles. Um, in two days. In two days. And then, but then what I, I didn't realize in the moment. So it was an open workout. For those of that, that remember, it was the rowing wall ball workout, right? So it was like 19, it was what? It was like 18 one. Eight, 18.1. It's a 15 minute AMRAP, and you had to complete uh, 19 wall ball shots through 10 foot target and 19 calorie right. row. Just go back and forth. It was Monday, and it was I was repeating it. I almost always do better on a repeat, no matter what, whether it's just one rep or more. And I've always repeated it because why not? I'm starting the workout, and it, about like two minutes in, I realize something's wrong. Cause I'm like uh, my, I felt like my heart rate was through the roof, but I'm only like two minutes into a workout and I'm rowing at like maybe 1500 calories. I'm like, this is not hard right now, but I feel awful. I get off the rower and, and then I I stop the workout and Connor who's judging me is is panicked at this point. I've never stopped a workout and I go and I throw up and it's a little bloody. I'm like, man, that's not good. But I'm like, I had a Laura bar like two days ago. Maybe it was a Laura bar. You know, it was like cherry or something like that. So that's a, that was my excuse to you myself. You had a Laura bar two days ago. <laughs> yeah, something like and that. And you threw it up. It was like, you know. <laughs> and so I wasn't feeling good. I went home. I'm laying down. My, my wife, who's a rational human, it, you know, she says, Austin, you should go to the doctor. And I was like... No, like I'm fine. She's like, no, you're, there's something wrong with you. Go to urgent care. I'm like, fine. Finally, by like, like 4 p.m., I go to urgent care. And I get there. And it's super nice. And, you know, so the lady comes in and, you know, like checks your vitals. And she sticks a little heart rate thing on. And I look at it. And I, I'm, I'm watching her. And I see your face, like, kind of give an expression of sort of befuddlement. And I'm like, okay. She's like, oh, let's take that again. I'm like, okay, because like the screen's facing her. Takes it again. She goes, something's wrong with this machine. I'm like, oh, what is it? She goes, well, your heart rate's at 176. She goes, 
that's not right. I'm like, I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> and and she's like, how do you feel? I'm like, I mean, I feel, I don't feel great, but I mean, if you asked me to do something, I would do it. And then so she leaves, right? So then she, yeah, she's gone. <laughs> she brings in the reinforcements. And then they take with another instrument, they take my heart rate, and it's like 175, 176. Then they immediately send me to the back room, and then they hook me up to like the, what the, EC, the EKG, EC, like, so like they get the things all over me. The, you know, the doctor comes in and like ask me all these questions, and I'm like, you know, now I'm freezing because I'm like half naked, you know, and I, I, by the time the doctor comes in, I normalize. I'm like, oh, like, look, and he's like, this is how like, you know, I'm not maybe a huge fan of all doctors. He's like, ah, you must be dehydrated. I'm like, that's what you got for me? Like, that's all you hit me with. You must be, de-. I was like, I don't know if that's the case, but I'll go with it. So they just hooked me up to an IV and then I, finally I was like, I really have to go to the bathroom. So you need to take this IV out of me and I, it, cause I'm, I, I have to go to the bathroom. And that's how I got out of there earlier than they wanted me to. Cause I was, I was, I was a waste of my time. You but, just left. Yeah. But and I was fine. But the real the real kicker was I had to go to Poland the next day. Remember that? And my, and I was very I was actually nervous about. It. I was like, should I fly around the world for a seminar? And I was like, well, and I my back because my lower back was bothering me. I was like, man, do I, did I give myself shingles again? I I was concerned. <laughs> um, like you said, you have not woken up and not entered stress. It's true. Yeah. Any morning. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. It's always in there. I feel like a high stress. But I, I flew to Poland. Definitely didn't feel great. And of course, the workout was the squat clean double under total bar workout. Oh, that was not a fun one to do, but I did it. Um, and I'm still here. So I don't know what it was, but I'd like to say that I had a resting heart rate of 176, which I've tried on my whoop to break. I've tried to get above 176, and I haven't seen it record above 176 for max heart rate. So I'm wondering if like I just like... Your body is self-governed now. won't if, let you do it. Exactly. I wonder <laughs> if I created some new like governor. Because yeah. of it. Because like, I think 176 is the highest I got my whoop. And I was like, man. And I've done some really awful things in workouts. I'm like, where I felt like my heart was going to explode. And it's like. It was. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't recommend having your heart rate at 176. I just want to put that out there. Like, I don't think it's uh, advisable. <laughs> Avoid that if you can, people. I'm still just amazed that science and the doctors didn't come up with a reason. He hit me. When he hit me with dehydrated, I lost a little faith in, um, you know, doctors. Have, all, have you been back to the doctor since? No. No, but I, I feel great, you know. Yeah. Good. You don't have shingles. No, I don't have shingles. Uh, no and I, shingles. I, I brush my teeth twice all. a day. Like, I feel like I'm good. That's it? Good. Yeah, I floss. So back in the day, in the heyday, so to speak, before Whoop for you guys, how, how much were you guys actually sleeping well, versus training? Actually, this is, you know, really funny because um, when I was competing, I, you know, on the on, with Mayhem or with New England, I, I never had a Whoop. But I would like bet my hat on the fact that I sleep far worse now, even with the extra data. And I was joking about this the other day with somebody because I saw it was like, my whoop told me that I would need 10 hours for optimal sleep recovery. And I laughed and I said to myself, who the hell has 10 hours to sleep at night? Nobody. You know, like, I'm lucky if I get 10 hours in two days of sleep. And But then I thought to myself, I was like, oh, competitive athletes definitely have 10 hours to sleep at night and I could see how that would be beneficial for them. So I know that I slept far better uh, when I was an athlete. I mean, when we were at Mayhem, I don't think I woke up till 10 a.m. I mean, the goal was to you just slept until you couldn't stand being in bed anymore because the goal after that was we're going to literally work out until somebody quits. You or know? dies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was really, there was a, in 2014, we got better at it. I think the, the Mayhem crew down there, but 
you know, in 2014, Rich certainly had this mentality. And it was really fun to be around at that time where it was like, if you had energy left, like there were days we would finish working out, we would come inside, we would start making dinner. And he'd be like, it'd be like nine o'clock at night. He'd be like, you want to go run? I No, but why not? You know, like I could still stand, I can move my feet. So yeah, let's go run. Um, so that being said, I was sleeping way better then. You were just sleeping more. Way more. Maybe not better. Yeah, maybe not better. But it could be. I was on like the three... People would ask me, what supplement do you take? And I was like, for CrossFit, I was like, Tylenol <laughs> in excessive amounts to help yeah. you sleep. Yeah. I think it's interesting, James, that you said you sleep worse now. And I, I shouldn't say worse. I sleep. I definitely sleep, sleep less. Way, way less. And it's, it's I, my take would be, I sleep less, too, because there's just more now, right? Because, yeah. because when you, when you, you extrapolate from that singular focus of I need to get to the CrossFit Games, I need to win the CrossFit Games, I need to do X thing. And then all of a sudden you do have four things that are actually pretty important They still probably have to happen. So understanding, I, I mean, for me at least, um, I find that I use my WHOOP data particularly to modify training at this point because, you know, that's not my top focus. Like I want to train. Mm-hmm. It might be different for you guys because you're still in the the more of the fitness environment than yeah. i am because it's livelihood right it's yeah. this is your life um another thing i find interesting about your sleep data austin is that despite the fact that you sleep not that much <laughs> you ha- you actually have pretty good recoveries yeah. because of your sleep consistency yeah of what so what's your routine pretty much yeah i mean i yeah so i don't sleep a lot but so i tr- i usually get to bed around like like 10 10 30 but it's so like the routine is I have a 15 month old. So when she, she goes to sleep at like six thirty or seven. And then at that point it's, you know, time for myself, my wife to kind of hang out. So it is. So my, no matter when I get home, whether on night shift or morning shift, I, it slows down. So we just hang out and I just usually just get work done, but we watch TV, we hang out. So, and then we get to bed around, uh, you know, 10, 10, 10 30. But then every, you know, no matter what, whether I open or close a gym, um, I'm up around, I'm up at, you know, between four and five every day. Um, is that natural? You yeah. Just naturally get up? Yeah. So like if I'm not opening, for example, I don't set my alarm, but I will be up right around five o'clock every day. Um, the, the only time that's a little different is on seminar weekends, seminar weekends. I actually looked at my data recently about how like I sleep the most on the weekends because yeah. I travel. Um, and I go to bed way earlier cause I'm not spending time with anyone alone. Um, so I go to bed way earlier than I do during the week when I'm, when I'm at home. But it's across the board relatively consistent, and, I, and it's ironic because the, from from when I look at the data, um, I actually I'm, I get better recovery scores during the week than on the weekends. Yet I sleep more on the weekends because it's different, and so like and things are different. And I and I don't know much beyond that, but it's funny how I can sleep you know four and a half five hours sometimes, and my recovery's seventy eighty percent. And then I'll like I'll sleep like eight and a half hours. I'm like, and I look at it and, and it and I'm my way. You know, I don't feel any. I don't feel that much different. So it's that always highlights to me. I'm like, okay, maybe you know, I'm I'm good with the you know six hours of sleep average or whatever I get. So yeah, it's potent. Yeah, As the more the more regular you can be on it, you know, the more potent that sleep is going to end up being. Yeah. Do you see similar things, James? Do you get more sleep when you're when you're at a seminar? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'll tell you the lesson learned. I think the lesson I learned was to, you know, to be at that, I don't know, I don't ever see myself as an elite performer, but um, 
I think to, to perform at that elite level, you kind of, you do have to, like Austin said, make an immense amount of sacrifices and the time commitment to it is huge. You know, it's a 40 hour a week job plus. And that's when people always ask me, Oh, I want to compete at the CrossFit games. What do I do? I'm like, do you have a full-time job? They're like, yeah, I'm going to quit. And they kind of look at me like I'm making a joke, but I'm being really serious. Um, cause the people who do it and do it well, it truly is their job. Well, especially now. Yep. And, and all the stuff hard. and all this, yeah. and it's not just like exercising all day. It's all the stuff that goes into it. But, um, what I have learned since I stopped competing really in 2017, so almost three years of reflection, is that, all right, I'm not putting in the effort anymore to be at that tip of the spear level, but I have learned, you know, I want, I want to say how little, but it's not like a one or the other. Like, I, put, I work out way less than I used to. I pay attention way, you know, I have less time to commit to, like, recovery and getting body work and sleeping than I used to. But that being said there are a couple things you can pay attention to and still perform really, really, really well. You know, I'd argue that I'll be 34, 35 next year. I don't know. One of those two. And I, I think I'm still way ahead of the curve. And, um, you know, and I think you can still accomplish that. You know, it's not, it's not a one or the other either. You know, you're at the, you're at the one, you're top 1% or you're dead. You know, there's, yeah. there's a couple things you can do to still be pretty damn fit. Do you want to dive into those? Yeah, I mean, are, are these the Hobart secrets to success? These that are the only, secrets to success that only you the have. Snake oil. Um, the no, I think one of the big things is consistency. You know, part of it is I have in terms of training or your training. or your day schedule. Day schedule and training, I th- I think, are two two really big ones. And with ten years of competing at a high level under my belt, it's like I don't have to keep training at that volume to maintain being pretty darn fit and healthy, which helps, you know, so it's like whatever you're doing, I think showing up consistently to it. My, one of my favorite pieces of advice I've ever heard is practice good habits poorly. So what does that mean? It's like, you don't always have to like have the perfect day of training to keep moving things in the right direction. And it's so, or, or at the other end of it, it's like, you know, it's like if your recovery isn't a thousand percent and you take a day off and you get back to it the next day, it's like, that's going to be okay. It's just the consistency over the long term of following that schedule, that I think is really important. Um, the other thing that really helped me is kind of paying attention to what things occurred or I did to myself outside of the gym. I know I joke about the sleep one, like I definitely don't sleep as much as I used to, but I do pay attention to the details of sleep more than I ever have, whether or not I do a good job of that or not. And then the other one was nutrition, I, which is really funny. Um, and this is just the way we rolled. But it was like I pay way more attention to my nutrition now than I ever did as a competitor. And I think part of that was just like, well, if you're training this much a day, I want to go home and have a slice of pizza and I want to wake up and have a Pop-Tart because the next 12 hours is going to suck and this will be really fun. be a nice little treat. So I think those three things have helped me a lot in stepping away from competing and still feeling really good and really fit and performing well without training five hours a day. And I think the, I think the, the thing you take, where you take for granted is intensity. Yeah. You know, it's like, yes, you're, the volume is much lower, but you know, when you train, you got to hit it real hard. Because Bury it. It, it, it. And that is, re- and that is the hardest thing to do when you don't have a background. It's the hardest thing for me to teach people. It's the hardest thing for people that are looking for, I, I only have X amount of time, but teaching intensity is very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us that know how to do it, you know, it's setting your workout. I know for me, it's like, I need to set, set myself up for workouts to achieve that level of intensity because it's, I gotta be, I gotta, I gotta get there. So whether it's a, for me, I love taking class cause it'll like, I don't, 
when I'm around people, I get amped up. And like, so like, you know, like that's for me is like, I love taking class and it, it gives, it puts me in a place where I, I might, I'm just good. Sometimes I just take class. I'm like, I'm great. I mean, it just, I'm spent now. And whereas that's a little different when you're volumizing across a day where you might hit one session with that level of intensity, but your other stuff is going to be a little lower. So intensity is really important specifically when you're, you're limiting what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, but it goes hand in hand because the less that you do, the higher with intensity you can attack things. Exactly. But it's hard to teach. Intensity is really hard to teach, and you know that's the nugget that makes CrossFit so special. But that's also the nugget that makes a CrossFit gym so important because it's very difficult to achieve that on your own. That's why you can walk you walk into a traditional gym and you really the the, the one thing you see is a lack of intensity. And it's not because the people are bad people. It's just it's the environment is not conducive, and you need you need support. <laughs> yeah, you need support when uh, you're when you're doing that. So we talked about uh, you know coaching coaches and how you give them feedback. So you know Whoop obviously offers the ability to see a group. You know we have our the Reebok group, and we've got CrossFit One Nation, CrossFit Boston have groups um, for a coach could hypothetically look at let's say today's workout, which looks atrociously hard um, for someone to come in with, you know, a red recovery, you know, how could a coach really kind of look at that, know what was yesterday, what the stimulus is for today and be able to kind of help the athletes, particularly the ones that even when they're in a good position, bite off more than they can chew and don't really listen to the, the loading and scaling options. So um, have you guys used it personally? Have you thought about using it in terms of, being able to reach athletes in a way of, hey, here's what your body's telling you. Maybe don't go as heavy as yeah. is written today so that you can not have to take the next four days off. I, I mean, I, what I have liked it for, I haven't used it specifically for that. What I have liked it for is because, man, it's hard to stop people from themselves. And even if times it's like you talk to somebody and they're like, well, my recovery, it was, you know, 30% last night. And you're like, well, you know, that probably means you should just take it easy today. I catch them over and, you know, you peel weight off their bar and then they're stuffing 25 pound plates back on their bar. And I'm like, you should just be easy in the transitions and they're running around like maniacs. I think what it's actually helped me do more than anything is not prevent them from making bad choices related to their recovery in the moment, but allow them to look at, hey, well, if you're not going to listen to me when you stroll in the gym or take rest days, here's other things we can pinpoint that you can work on. So you have a bit of, bit of a better defense or a little bit more of a buffer. And I think that's one of the coolest things about it. Cause you know, the longer I've done this and you know, it's like you work really hard on educating clients and you even give them a tool to measure the, their recovery. It's, I think for most people coming in, they just, if they're in the gym, they're going to get after it like maniacs for the most part. But what you can do is now have a tool that I think has let me kind of point to them like, hey, look, if you do X, Y, and Z before you go to bed, you're going to sleep a little bit better. And that is going to contribute to the time you actually have when you do sleep. So that's where I found it as a really useful tool. Um, I think it's been, you know, me personally too, I'm the same way. You know, this thing, this thing, it could have like, I think it should have a symbol on the whoop that it shows that it's just a skull and crossbones when your recovery is at a certain level. <laughs> but if that symbol showed up for me, I'd be like, I'd be oh. like, hell yeah, let's roll. You know, like, let's see if, let's see if it, well, can, we, I, can we turn it red? I told my wife today, my goal this year was to try and work so hard that I need a heart replacement. I'm not, I like that goal. So, um, but no, it has helped pinpoint, like I said, for me as a coach, it's helped pinpoint what can they do outside of the gym a little bit better um, to try and buffer their bad decisions. I, I, I'm the same. I think it's very hard to you – know, 
scaling people effectively and appropriately, I think, is that will always happen. I think what's when the data you, we can get from the group and that I've seen is more or less like, well, why is it there? Because it is what it is. You're here. We're going to keep you safe. You're going to get a workout, and we're going to train to train another day. And and hopefully maybe you know what the data on there you know can back you know now you trust me a little more right but more importantly is well why is that the case can we pinpoint behavior we might want to change is it something that we know is unavoidable right oh you know like well every Tuesday night is this night so I don't feel like what a, great well, we just need to be aware of that no different than prior to a lot I mean I on a Monday I'm always like hey guys who burned it down all weekend and you know part of it's fun but also it's like you know the one or two people will be like. I'm going to keep an eye on them a little more. I know I'm going to, I'm going to keep them closer to the front or maybe the closer to the bathroom. Right. Because, and, (laughs) but things like that, because, and it matters like those things have affected the class. So I think, and if we can look back at behavior change, because that's what I think is the beauty of the data and the whoop is okay. What can we learn from that about our behavior and are you, you know, because if you're, if you're wearing it, if you're getting the data, it means you care. And it means that you, I hope that you're willing to make some type of behavior change based off the results you're getting. Um, and I think that's the, where, as, as certainly as coaches, that's something that we need to start to do. And it's because then it's, the conversation nutrition is no different. It's the same thing as, well, why? I can get, I, I can tell you to eat meats and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, and weigh and measure your food. But what's more important is what what made it so hard for you not to do it? Why did you fail last last night or last week? What were the, the, the life circumstances that didn't allow it to happen? That's what we need to talk about. Um, and I think that's where a lot of that data can come into play. Yeah, and I think a lot of times uh, when people kind of maybe astray from how they would strive to, to eat and you know go about their day, it's lack of sleep. Because when when you lose that sleep, that you lose you lose a bit of control. I mean, it, that's just physiological. I don't know if the Whoop psychology department has a has like a term for this or as a phenomenon, but it's also like it's really hard when you're confronted with hard data, like specific numbers or a graphic, to like argue against it. You know, like I can sleep poorly and eat poorly and be like, I feel you know I feel crappy and just, but I can still keep letting that happening. But it's like it's like saying to yourself, well, like I'm okay at muscle ups, and then you go into the gym. And you are in front of a class or a coach and you don't have muscle ups and you put, you know, DFL on the board next to your name and you're almost like compelled to react to that data a little bit. And I, you know, I hate being told what to do. And so, like I joked, like if I'm told by, you know, my whoop suggests I have a poor recovery score, I literally look at it. I'm like, you know, you man, I'm going to work. I'm going to make it worse. Um, But it's so funny. It's like just the the sleep data, it kind of sucks you in, you know, like. I'll look at my sleep day and I'll be like, wow, I didn't sleep well last night. What did I do yesterday? Oh, slept well last night. What did I do differently yesterday? So I think what's really cool about it is when you are compelled with some data that's specific and measurable, um, you know, and, and, and accurate, you will start to make changes whether you like it or not. Thanks to Austin and James for coming on the program this week. We're glad to have them as WHOOP members. If you're not already a WHOOP member, you can join our community for as low as $30 to begin. We provide you with 24-7 access to your biometric data, as well as analytics across strain, sleep, recovery, heart rate variability, and more. The membership comes with a free WHOOPstrap 3.0. We offer 6, 12, and 18-month memberships. The more you sign up for, the more you save. If you enter the code WILLAHMED at checkout, that's W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D. 
will give you $30 off a membership just for listening to this podcast. For our European customers, the code is WILLAHMEDEU, and that will give you 30 euros off when you join. And for our current members, you can upgrade to the Whoopstrap 3.0 and get access to all the new Whoop Live features by following the link in your Whoop app. If you're out of contract, you'll literally get the 3.0 for free when you commit to another six months. Check out whoop.com slash the locker for show notes and more, including links to relevant topics from this conversation and others. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Whoop podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find me online at Will Ahmed. I try to respond to everyone who reaches out. Uh, And you can also follow at Whoop on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email thelocker at whoop.com with any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions you may have. Thank you again to all our listeners, to all our Whoop members. We love you.